As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 4. We'll also be in Hebrews chapter 13 today as well. Came across a photo from my father's high school class the other day. And uh, this is the Lampasses Badgers class of 1958. And I was struck by the photo because it looks a little different than uh, school does today. Uh, This is just a couple generations ago. And uh, you'll notice how the girls are all dressed. They all, have, they all have dresses on. Is that how you guys dress when you go to school uh, these days? They all have dresses on. I think a couple of them even have pearls on. And you'll notice the, the boys all have short hair. Uh, you say, which one's your dad? That's my, my dad up in the top left corner up there. Do I look anything like him? Yeah? Well, <laughs> some kind of mixed reviews there. But... Uh, they're, all their heads are bowed, and what they're doing is they are having their, their daily prayer time. This was their prayer time that they had every day in school. It was public school. It was just a part of the culture that they would bow their heads and have a time of prayer. Well, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, so whenever I went to school, things had changed a little bit. There was no daily prayer time. There was a little bit more diversity than there was in this picture there. Uh, Our styles were a little different, too. Growing up in the 80s, uh, we had those Saved by the Bell styles, you know, where the girls' hair was real big and and the guys wore parachute pants and capas and all that stuff. We didn't have cell phones, though. Can you imagine going to school without your cell phone? I mean, when we saw a pretty girl and wanted to talk to her in class, we had to pass a note, you know, the way you're supposed to. So we didn't have have cell phones. And uh, today's school, I would imagine that things have changed even a little bit more. There's probably more diversity, uh, technology everywhere. In fact, dealing with technology is something that school administrators have to work on day in, day out. And I think schools over the last couple of generations have moved to be much more secular in the way in which they teach and go about uh, living life. And you may have noticed that the world is changing a bit. Uh, politics are unrecognizable these days. Uh, gender, marriage, sexuality are all being radically redefined. And it seems like weekly, if not daily, you hear some story of, of a mass shooter, you hear some story of tragedy. And with all this change, it's easy to become fearful, it's easy to be worried, it's easy to be angry. It's easy to uh, feel the need to be heavily armed because we're often overly informed. And I get it. I'm uh, raising kids. I have four little kids, and I think about their future. I think about their safety. Uh, It's troubling to think about the world in which we live today. And yet, I want to share with you two simple thoughts. If you can take home these two thoughts today, uh, then you've accomplished the goal of the message. The first is this. In a world where things change, people change, circumstances change, normal changes, truth changes, Jesus Christ never changes. There's a passage of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What that means is that our Savior is not a recent graduate of Almighty One University. Uh, Before Bethlehem, before the cross, 
before the empty tomb, before Barack Obama, before Donald Trump, Jesus was Lord. And not only was Jesus Lord before all of that, Jesus is still Lord, and Jesus will always be Lord. Do you have any problems in your life today? Your problems do not overwhelm your Lord. The enormity of your sins does not exceed the enormity of His grace. Jesus is Lord, and He is trustworthy, and He is consistent, and He is faithful yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's also pure. There's a lot of corruption in the world today. There is no corruption in your Lord because He's sinless. And so you don't have to worry whenever you place your faith in Jesus that He's somehow going to be corrupt, that He's going to take your goodwill and your faith and and twist it for uh, His dark gain. His ways, His Word are pure, and His ways and Word are truth. Yesterday, today, And what's the last word? Forever. And that word forever is huge. I am privileged in my life to have some great role models. I'm privileged to have people in life that have modeled for me what it means to be uh, a godly person. I think of my father that was in the picture earlier, and, and my father is just a very godly, solid man. He's been a pastor for over 50 years. Uh, He grew up in great poverty. His dad was an alcoholic. His dad was a a womanizer, had two families going at the same time that didn't know about each other. When my father was really young, his dad would beat up on my grandmother, and my dad and his brother used to pray, and this was their bedtime prayer, Lord, help us to be strong enough one day to beat up our dad. But then God got a hold of my dad at a Billy Graham crusade, At the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas, my dad became a believer in Christ, and it changed everything about him. It changed the trajectory of his life. My mom's childhood was even worse than my dad's. The one thing they both had in common was Jesus. And because of that, they came together, and in their love, they began to break generational chains that had been around for many, many years. Generation after generation had made poor decisions, but they decided we're going to live differently, and they provided for me and my sisters a better life than they had, and my children are experiencing a better life than we had because of the the decisions that my parents made in their life to follow Christ and how that allowed them through His power to change generational generational traps. And so I, I look at my dad, and I look at my mom, and I look at others, and I see great role models, and I can say, hey, they have always throughout my entire life, been consistent, and I can try to follow them. But on Christmas Day this past year, I received a text. It said, uh, you need to come to Fort Worth because your dad's had a heart attack. And so in the middle of Christmas, I was driving to Fort Worth not knowing if I was going to be there in time. He survived that day. He was put in ICU, and that night he had a stroke. And for uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's, I, I didn't know whether or not my dad, my dad was going to, to make it or not. And I praise God he's doing well. In fact, he's going to preach today at his church in Altham City. So I praise God that, that he made it through that health scare. But there was something that landed in my heart in the midst of all that. And that is that 
it won't always be the same. Life will change, and even the people that you're closest to, uh, they'll one day die. Things will change. But in Jesus Christ, we have something that never changes. We have a source of comfort, a source of truth, a source of stability that is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so no matter what life brings across my path, I have a place to call home. I have eternal truth that I can grab a hold of, and I have hope that goes beyond this life, hope that lives forever. In Jesus Christ, you have something that is stable. You have something that doesn't change. Now, here's the second big thought that I want you to take home, and that is that knowing Jesus frees you to go beyond home. Let's look, at, let, let's look at Luke chapter 4, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Verse 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire, entire vicinity. Now, you'll recall Jesus was baptized. After the baptism, he went out into the wilderness for 40 days. He fasted and prepared for his ministry. The Spirit was upon him. There in the wilderness, he was tempted After that, he begins his ministry, and he starts out in the northern region of Palestine, the area known as Galilee, and as he was serving, news began to spread about him, and the entire vicinity of people were talking about Jesus. He was teaching in their synagogues, verse 15 says, and being acclaimed by everyone, and then he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. In other words, he comes back home. He goes to his hometown. And as usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now, you'll remember that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was about three miles outside of the capital, the big city of Jerusalem. There he's born. Then there is the threat made on his life, and so early on in his life, Jesus becomes a refugee. Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus, they have to flee Uh, Palestine. They go into a different country, Egypt, and that's where Jesus learns to walk and talk. Eventually, King Herod dies, and so Jesus and his family are able to return to their homeland, and Joseph and Mary decide that they are going to settle back home in this little small town known as Nazareth. Did anybody grow up in a small town? Anybody in here grow up In a small town. Okay, tell me some of the names of the small town where you grew up. Wiley, Texas. Okay. Bowie. Watauga, Texas. College Station. What what do we have back here? Knackfish, Louisiana. There you go. Ashkawada. Ashtabula. Yeah, this, in the 830 service, we had places like Rising Star, Texas, and, and these places that you can just tell by the name of it, uh, it's, a, it's a small town. Well, I, I've lived most of my life in larger cities. I, I grew up pretty well uh, a city boy, really more of a suburban boy, except for 2006 to 2008. During those years, Stacy and I moved, and we lived in Denison, Texas. 
Now, Denison may be a big town to some of you all, but to us, it was a really small town of about 20,000 people, and we moved there from Austin, Texas. Now, if you know anything about Austin, it's kind of a large, quirky little city. The theme of the city is uh, uh, keep Austin weird, and so, so we moved from there to Denison, Texas, and whenever we crossed the border into Grayson, you know, it was kind of like culture shock. My first clue should have been when they asked me for my passport because it was a different kind of place whenever you get into small-town Texas. It's a lot different. And during those years, I, I was a, a director of missions, and so I preached in a different church every Sunday. And some of the churches that I preached in, they were a little different than here. I, I would get directions. All right, brother, what you need to do is you need to... Uh, turn off the paved road, and you're going to go down about 10 trees, okay? And then you'll see a rusted tractor, and you need to turn right at the rusted tractor, and you'll find us there, and it'll be okay. I mean, I I preached at one church one time where they had bring your shotgun to church day. And after, after church, they were going to have a skeet shooting contest, and so everybody was supposed to bring their shotgun to church. That actually sounds like kind of a fun idea, but, but anyway, it was just a, a different world there. Well, Nazareth was a small rural town, and there Jesus was raised. He was raised kind of under the radar of the large Roman Empire. It was a place where people lived because they wanted to be safe. They were, they were comfortable. It was a poor town, but it was Jesus' hometown. Well, Jesus is making a name for himself. He's now the hometown hero. You remember the baptism scene as he's coming up out of the water, the voice from God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. That kind of gets people's attention when they hear the voice of God coming from heaven. In verse 14, you see him going into these synagogues. The Spirit of God is upon him. He has become a star. And then in verse 16, The star comes home. And so what he'd been doing all around the region, he does there in Galilee. On the Sabbath day, Saturday, he goes into the synagogue and he begins to read the scriptures and teach. Well, what does he read? Well, he reads from the prophet Isaiah. He picks up the scroll in verse 17. Unrolling the scroll, he found a place where it was written. Here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives. So the audience is hearing this and they say, okay, the Spirit of the Lord is on Jesus because he's been anointed to preach good news to the poor. Hey, that's us. Then he says, he sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives. Hey, that's us. We're, we're, we're captives of Rome. And then he says, and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, everybody in the audience knew that this passage in Isaiah was referring to the Messiah that would one day come. And when the Messiah came, uh, he would anoint people with the Spirit of God and all things would be made new. And so when Jesus starts reading this passage, they're like, Uh, This is good news. He's reading the passage about the Messiah. So then in verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. When the, the teacher would sit down in the synagogue, it meant, okay, now he's going to explain what has just been read. So the eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fixed on him, and he begins saying to them, Today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. They were all speaking well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his mouth. Literally, you break down that term gracious words, it's referring to grace-filled 
words. So they're amazed at the teaching of Jesus and their eyes are fixed upon him. Yet there's a little doubt in their mind and they say to one another, isn't this Joseph's son? Don't we know him? Hey, we, we know Joseph. Isn't this his boy? Didn't he used to play on Nazareth High's football team? Hey, didn't you used to teach him in first grade? Isn't this Joseph's son? Now, things are going well here. Jesus is happy. The people are happy. But there was a problem. One, Jesus' family had expectations. When you read the Gospels, particularly in Mark, you see this. The expectations of Jesus' family overflow sometimes. And part of their expectations for Jesus was were that he would, he would live there in Nazareth. He would operate the carpenter shop, and he would just be there for, him, for them. He was the oldest brother. And the hometown folks, they had expectations for Jesus as well. They thought he was sent by God, but he was sent by God to solve all their problems. And so they thought to themselves, well, he's here to give sight to the blind. I have an uncle who's blind. Let's bring him in. He can heal him. He's here to heal the wounded. I I have a hand that's been wounded. Perhaps he can heal my hand. Jesus has come home. He's here to make our lives better. But the mission that God had for Jesus was not safe. The mission that God had for Jesus was not simply to live amongst those that he knew and run the carpenter shop. God's plan for him was not to simply make Nazareth great again. God's plan was for him to go beyond home. And so Jesus continues in verse 23. Then he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb. Doctor, heal yourself. Bless you. Doctor, heal yourself. It's in the Word of God right here. Uh, Bless you. Doctor, heal yourself. So we've all heard that what took place in Capernaum do here in your hometown also. So Jesus is jumping into their minds, and he's like, Okay, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that all the healing and all the miracles that I've done throughout Capernaum, that I can do them right here as well. He said in verse 24, I assure you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. But I say to you, there were certainly many widows in Israel in Elijah's day when the sky was shut up for three years and six months while a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And in the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had serious skin diseases, yet not one of them was healed, only Naaman the Syrian. So Jesus says, basically, I understand what you're wanting. You're wanting me to live here to heal you. And then he gives them two examples in Elijah and Elisha, where God used them not amongst the people of Israel, but God used them to go beyond home to minister and to take the Word of God and the truth of God beyond home. Did any of you catch Senator Ted Cruz's speech on Wednesday? It, uh, I'm not making any political statements here. I'm just kind of making some talk about the speech. It, it's one of those things that, that will be remembered for many years. Uh, it was perhaps one of Cruz's best speeches. I, I sometimes listen to these convention speeches just to see how they do as orators. And so he's delivering a, a pretty good speech on, on freedom, 
and he has the crowd absolutely eating out of the palm of his hand. In fact, the further he goes into the speech, you can just see his confidence growing, and the crowd is right there with them, and it was really a, a powerful connection that was beginning to take place. And then he kind of turns the speech, and he says, on November 8, 2016, don't stay at home. And the crowd erupts in cheer. But then he doesn't meet their expectations. He says, go to your voting booth and up and down that ballot, vote your conscience. And the crowd begins to turn on him. I was watching this on my computer. I was like, what is happening here? This is crazy. The crowd starts booing him and chanting at him because they wanted him to endorse their candidate, and he tried to get back in his speech and get it back onto freedom, and he was telling heart-wrenching stories about officers that had been shot, but even through the entire speech, the crowd just kept booing him, and his wife had to be escorted out for her safety, and afterwards, they say that Senator Cruz may have ruined his political career and his presidential aspirations going forward. Well, I tell that story because that's kind of what happened to Jesus. Everybody loved him. They were tracking with him until he said, basically, my mission's not your mission. What you want me to do, I'm not going to do. Look at verse 28. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was enraged. And then notice what they do. They got up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the edge of the hill that their town was built on, intending to hurl him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Boy, that was some homecoming, wasn't it? No place like home, eh? Now, in verse 30, uh, Jesus flashes a little bit of his divinity. You see, if Jesus would have died at this point, it kind of would have ruined the whole story. Hey, Jesus, why are you back in heaven? Well, I went to Nazareth and they threw me off the cliff. You know, that wouldn't have really made the Bible narrative go forward. So Jesus flashes his divinity and he passes through the crowd and he goes about about his ministry. You know, home is supposed to be a place where people know you. It's supposed to be a place where the people you love the most live. Home is supposed to be a place where you have a root system. There's stability at home. Home is supposed to be a safe place. It's supposed to be a restful place. Home is supposed to be a place where the best food is. You think about going home. You think about mama's cooking or daddy's brisket. Because there's no place like home. Whenever I'm at church here at Murphy Road, I feel at home. In fact, one of the things that I love the most about our church is it's a friendly place. It's a warm place. And people tell me all the time, I I just like being at our church because it feels comfortable. It feels feels homey. At the same time, I think that we should understand that the greatest joy in serving God is almost always found when we're willing to go beyond home. When what the gospel has done within us begins to overflow the boundaries of me, and I start to love God, my one another's, and others. I go beyond home. Students, that's what you guys are doing this week. 
You're going beyond home. You're going to Deweyville. You're going to meet people that you've never met before, and you're going to give your time and your energies to serve them and, and minister to them, and God is going to use you to impact their lives. You, you, you have no idea how much you may impact their life this week as you go beyond home. The other thing that's going to happen is that whenever you go beyond home, God begins to teach you stuff as well. You begin to see the blessings that are in your own life, and God begins to shape your heart and drive you towards His plan that has been designed uniquely for you. Right now, we have 67 Murphy Rotors that are at kids' camp, mainly 8- to 12-year-olds. We didn't send them by themselves. We sent some adults with them, thankfully. And so those, those Murphy Rotors are off at camp right now, and they're beyond home. They're unplugged from Pokemon. They're, they're unplugged from uh, their, their usual life. And while they're there, they will encounter God, and God will speak to them, and their lives will be changed because they went beyond home, and they're hearing the voice of God. I'm thankful for men like Pastor Sampson, who has been working uh, on behalf of our church amongst the Punjabi people in India over the last uh, seven, eight years, we have been able to establish two new churches there in India. We have a training center where village pastors are trained in the basics of Christianity and then sent back into the villages to preach and teach the Word of God. I'm thankful for Pastor Benoy and Brother Monsi from our Asian Indian congregation that have started the Hebron Children's Home where we now have 50 orphans that are living there that, that were... Uh, uh, living life in terrible conditions, and now they're hearing the truth of the gospel and they're experiencing love, and our church is being able to minister to those orphan children uh, all the way across the world. In fact, Pastor Benoit will be here around noon today. If, if one of those children you would like to adopt and support, it's about $30 a month to take care of a child, and you can talk with Pastor Benoit about you being involved in that ministry. At the end of the service today, we're going to take an offering and Whenever we take that offering, yes, some of the dollars are used to uh, make sure that we take care of our campus, and we're thankful for uh, having a ministerial staff, and we're thankful for the activities of our church, but a lot of those dollars that are given go out. We send them to missionaries and missions agencies to support people that we may never meet, but every time we give dollars, it's going to help missionaries beyond home share the gospel. I like to say we are one church in 600 locations. How many campuses does Murphy Road have? Well, we have about 600 right now because the Holy Spirit lives within you. So wherever you go, you are a campus of this church. Some of our members every week fly out somewhere. Every week they're going on a mission trip. Most of us leave the house each week. So everywhere you go, you're the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. You are this church advancing into the community. You are this church going beyond our campus. You are this church going beyond home. I hope you realize that this building, this property is not the church. You're the church. We're the church. We're thankful for the building, thankful for the property. But this is not the church. We're the church. So wherever we are going, that's the church going beyond home. You see, if you desire to swim the depths of the living water, if you desire to scale the mountains of grace, then you must learn to move beyond home. The gospel was never intended to stop at you. 
You say, well, the gospel's changed me. The gospel's saved me. The gospel has uh, transformed my heart. Yes, the gospel is good news that is individualized. It, It is relational. And yes, the gospel changes you from the inside out. But the gospel is not intended to just implode upon your life. Like water balloons hitting the wall, people think that the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness of the Holy Spirit just implodes upon me. And they're like, God, thank you for making a better me. The gospel is intended to be bigger than you. But sometimes what we do is we become hoarders. And we think that that the goal of God is simply to make me well. The goal of God is to make me safe. The goal of God is to make me rich. The goal of God is to make me happy. And so the gospel just exists because of the universe of me. Now, going back to my earlier thought, in Jesus Christ, you have stability. In Jesus Christ, you have a home. In Jesus, you have something that is safe. You have something that will never change. You have something in which you can place your hope. It is not corrupt. But in following Jesus, it's always going to take you beyond your comfort zones. It's going to take you to places where not everybody believes exactly like you. It's going to take you very likely beyond your geographical area. It's going to take us as a church beyond our building into our community. It's going to take us beyond our ethnic tribe. It's going to take us beyond our North Dallas suburb bubble. Following Christ is going to take you beyond home because the gospel, though it transforms you, it's not meant to stop there. One of the prayers that I have for our church is that we would love God with all of our being, that vertically in our relationship with God, we would just be in love with Him. But then I also have this prayer that we would love one another. We'd actually care about each other and be there for one another and love one another and want what's best for each other and motivate each other towards godliness. But then what God is doing in us would overflow us so that we would love others as well. We'd love the people in our community that don't speak the same language as we speak. That we'd love people that we've never met that live in Deweyville, Texas. That we would love people in India and we'd care about the orphan that is growing up in terrible conditions that's living in Odisha. And we'd care about the missionaries that are serving all around the world and people that are serving in places where it's very dangerous and that we would care about the little boy and the little girl that's growing up in communities around our world and they've never even heard the good news. No one's even told them. They don't know about Christ. They don't know about heaven. I pray that we care. Bill Wallace was born in 1908. He was the son of a physician. Growing up, he, Bill liked cars and he liked motorcycles and so he thought, one of these days I'll, I'll make my career fixing cars and then I'll be able to buy some motorcycles and I'll ride motorcycles. That was his dream. Never really saw himself being a doctor until July 5th, 1925. It was on that day that the Holy Spirit really struck him, and he received his call from God. And here was his call. He felt like he was supposed to be a medical missionary, that he was to go to medical school, and then he was to serve in some place in the world beyond home. 
1935, after finishing medical school, Wallace left his hometown in Knoxville, Tennessee. He moved to Wokchow, China. And there he started serving people at Stout Memorial Hospital. Wallace lived there for over 20 years, and he served faithfully in that hospital. Nobody had ever heard of him outside of the region. But during the Boxer Rebellion, Wallace was there. When World War II hit, China was invaded by the Japanese army, and Wallace continued serving in the hospital. In fact, he, act very, he acted very valiantly and saved many of the patients from certain death during the height of the invasion. After World War II, the communist regime took over there in China, and they began, in their mind, cleansing the region. And those that were from other countries, they found themselves in, in great danger. Wallace was loved by the people. He was known as a great doctor, just a great man, and he had developed a great love for the people as well. But soon it became very apparent that if he did not leave, that his life was in danger. And so Wallace was faced with a choice, do I leave or do I stay? And he made the decision that he would stay. He was falsely accused by the government of espionage. And so he was put in prison. And there he lived his life being tortured day after day. On February 10th, 1951, the 43-year-old doctor was hung from a beam in his cell after having been beaten to death in the dark. Now, there are some people that would view Bill Wallace's life as a waste. He had a great intellect. He had all the tools necessary to achieve financial success. Why didn't he just stay home? He could have had a nice life. He could have met a nice girl and married her and had children together. He could have had a wonderful life. Well, he does have a nice life. You say, well, he's dead. Hold on a second. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And Bill Wallace is with the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You might call him a martyr, but his life wound up inspiring hundreds of doctors around the world who today are serving for the glory of God. And they were inspired by one man who was willing to go beyond home, one man who was willing to give his life so that others might live. Where is it in your life that God is calling you to go beyond you? Where is it in your life that God is saying you need to go beyond your comfort zone? You need to go beyond your little world and be a part of something bigger. Be a part of something that only God can do. Will you follow Him? Will you do it? Will you go beyond home? Make your life part of the story of God and what He's doing. Because we have a great God.
And no matter where your life takes you, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as the band comes. Father, I pray for these students that are going to be going beyond home this week. I pray that you might break their hearts for the people that they're going to serve. I pray, Lord, that you might use them. Use them for your glory. I ask that they might bring hope to some people that have lost it all. And I pray, Father, that you might change them as well. Fill their hearts with gratitude and show them the joy that is found when they give their life in service to you. And Lord, we bow our heads before you and we confess that often we live our life with the goal of wanting safety. We want things to be calm. We want things to be easy. We want everybody to agree with us. And yet we realize that you've called us to go beyond that which is simple. Lord, I'm so grateful for the gospel. I'm so grateful that you saved my soul. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you have done something in me that I could never do. Lord, help me to realize that you didn't just save me for me. You saved me for your glory. And Father, help me to use my life beyond me. And I pray for our church, Lord, that you will show us where it is that you are at work so that we can be a part of it. And Father, wherever we go, may we join you in what you're doing. And Lord, may you drop our jaws in amazement because we see you do things that only you can do. Father, help us not to be satisfied with just having a nice church where we come on Sundays, but help us, Lord, to want to be the church that gathers here on Sundays to uh, encourage one another and to learn from you and then goes out into our homes, into our communities, into our world to shine the light of the gospel into a world which is growing increasingly darker. Father, help us to realize that no matter where we go, no matter what you call us to, that we have a home in Jesus Christ who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it is in Him that we trust and we realize that our eternity is found with You, that ultimately that's where home is. It's in Jesus' name we pray.